Martin Pavlicek. I'm a geologist uh, with 25 years uh, plus um, minerals exploration experience around the globe, a lot of it in gold, uh, some uh, some more advanced assets as well in, in the private equi equity space. I'm now a CEO of uh, Sano Resources, which just recently listed on the CSE in Canada, and we're about to embark on our maiden drilling program. Fantastic. Well, you better tell us um, where where you're going to be drilling because we're looking at, th I think, three assets that um, you've got. Um, but actually, before we do, just tell you, 25 years experience, um, what's your experience in Africa and what's your experience in terms of running companies? Okay. Uh, Africa, I first came to Africa actually for a, for a short stint at the time with BHP uh, Minerals in 2000. It was supposed to be in South Africa for three months. I haven't really made it back to Australia since then. Um, I spent most of the last 22 years um, in Africa um, and some of it in and out of Africa, initially Southern Africa, um, places like Angola, Botswana, um, DRC, quite a few years in the Congo, and then went over and went to uh, West Africa in 2007. Uh, we had an asset there, uh, Sabodala Gold. Um, well, Sabodala Gold Mine or Prospect at the time, there were no resources. We drilled that out um, and put it into production in, in um, you know, just over three years, actually, with an Australian junior. Um, I then stayed on and managed their exploration assets for some time, and uh, eventually the asset ended up in Taranga Gold. Um, and now Endeavour. Um, so it's still stronger than ever, actually. Um, so uh, that was, yeah, that's, that was my West African debut so to speak um and i've since then been back for many projects okay like like i mean but have you have you have you run a public market company um before or have you headed up a company before not had a full-time ceo role before i've been uh, in the junior space a couple of times um initially for an australian junior that um, explored for uh, for gold um, i was there so to speak coo i was running all the in-country stuff in the congo there for a number of years and um, <clears throat> then for a junior company as a VP exploration, exploration manager. More recently, I was involved with uh, E79, um, Victorian Gold. I was um, interim CEO there until we found uh, Patrick that we put in there and he's steering the ship now. And um, I couldn't really commit to that one either because I'm more Africa focused and uh, I had the Guinea uh, projects in the background that I've been working on for some time. So right, and and that's uh, I think E79. We 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 know through uh, Vince, um, who's your chairman. Um, he I think exactly right. Okay, so why don't you sort of give us an idea of like who else is then supporting uh, you? And obviously we know Vince, but who are the other names that we should be aware of? All right. Um, also on the board, uh, from a public company point of view, um, is uh, Vince Sorachi, uh, who's our chairman based over in uh, uh, Vancouver. We have Gavin Cooper on there, a CFO. He's got a long history um, in, in the public um, company space, uh, also based over in, in, in Vancouver. We obviously have a legal team over there as well. And then we have a number of um, advisors that are, uh, you know, well used to, uh, to the Canadian space um, and um, also another uh, non-executive um, officer. Right. Okay. So you you, you you picked up these three um, assets. Your your Af your experience is Africa. Your knowledge is Africa. Um, so how, how did you get a hold of these assets? Where do they come from? What are, in fact, what do they cost you? Um, okay. Mainly um, a bit of grey hair and, and a lot of time. Uh, we um, there were the three founding partners there, um, and we. Um, we were actually hunting around for some good quality gold assets in West Africa since 2017-18. We formed a private company initially in Senegal, applied for some of our own ground, were not successful, and then started uh, scouting around the region for deals. Um, 
And, uh, yeah, of course, there's lots of deal flow. Most of the time, uh, the expectations in terms of the commercial terms are unreasonable and or there's little, you know, hard data to justify, um, you know, a, a more serious um, commitment on, on, on those. Then we came across these three assets um, in Guinea and they actually had some historic data. The, the vendors had, some, had put some of their own uh, efforts and money into it to find some <clears throat> initial gold anomalies and uh, they were quite commercial in terms of they understood what, um, you know, what, what a market can take um, in terms of a deal. So we managed to negotiate a fairly attractive earning deal on, 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 on all three uh, permits there. And um, from there, we went out to look for some seed funding. And uh, um, we got that from in Canada and then listed the assets um, in Sanu um, just very recently. But, but what do you so, do? When you, when, but that, okay, I understand the process there. But what, what data do you base this on? Isn't a case of... Oh, anything will do. We just need to get some assets into a no, cash not, shell. Not, so, not really. Um, <clears throat> anything will do. I mean, you can pick up plenty of Lurimian with with no data and just some structure all over the place. Um, there, we've actually had a substantial amount of surface geochemical sampling and lots of indications of artisanal gold mining as well. And um, <clears throat> the available historical geochem data showed some very strong kilometer scale gold trends um, um, and you know the untested untested by trenching untested by drilling no auger run over them um, so that that was uh, was very attractive to us I mean that's that's a big jump start it takes you usually 12 18 months to get to that stage um, maybe not that many dollars but a lot of time yeah. the, the artisanal bit I, I, I understand I think it's, that's very, very common, and also in South America as well. You know, it, it, it's, it's yes. a big, big clues there, but um, West Africa is well known for that. Um, but the geochem, you mentioned geochem, and I, I've got to ask you about this because you, you frame it as termite mound geochem. What, yes. what is that? <laughs> well, it's a very, it's, it's a surface uh, sampling technique. Um, I mean, when you're faced with a, a fresh piece of uh, prospective ground, um, the typical way to attack it is, um, is with soil sampling, um, but that's not that effective in areas that are extensively, extensively laterite covered. Um, and in West Africa, you have a lot of laterite cover. You know, it can be half a meter up to 20 meters thick, and it's, it can be sort of semi-transparent in terms of picking up the signal of the bedrock underneath. Uh, the termites help you quite a bit um, because they tend to burrow down uh, to at least where they get some moisture, some water, and more often than not, that means they're going down to the saprolite, um, which is the weathered bedrock where you expect to find the primary mineralization. So, and they bring material up from there. So, um, it's a, it's a, it's one step up from a soil sample in that terrain, um, and it's very quick and cost-effective to collect them. Um, it's quite fine material. Um, it tends to be most of the time saprolytic material and they can do it very quickly and then analyze it. So um, it's it's a cost-effective tool to screen out, um, <clears throat> to screen large areas and, and define the key trends, the main trends. Right, and, and, and there's 16,000 of these uh, termite mounds that were... Yes, right. that's right. Yeah, okay. we've, we've inherited a lot of historic data, but we've also um, complemented. We did some infill termite sampling, and we had to complete uh, extend some of the grids that didn't cover the entire permits, um, just partial. But um, yeah, all in all, we have something like sixteen thousand uh, samples now. So it's a very nice um, 
systematic database we can work off. Okay, so you you mentioned earlier that you know the, there's a lot of this kind of Borromean land package with permits in place, but I think based based on what you're saying, your inference being that you know some of those may may not be of the quality that you would want to see. So what gives you confidence that what you've got is of the quality that you that you think you know can become something? We have um, on all three permits we have a systematic um, coverage of termite mineral geochemistry, gold geochemistry, and that data is defining kilometer scale gold trends um, quite consistently from line to line. You're getting getting the trends confirmed. Um, so that's a very, very encouraging start for us. Right, okay. We so have the scale mm-hmm. and we, we know there is gold there. So Okay, it comes back to that. Okay. So what are you going to do with this? Okay, they, these are drill these are what drill ready targets? Or, or how do you frame Not it? just yet. Um, because the um, the termite mount geochemistry tends to it, it defines your trends, but it's it, there's a bit of dispersion laterally. So the targets tend to be a little bit large to systematically test all of it with, say, RC or diamond testing, drilling, um, that tends to get too expensive. So what the next stage is typically, and um, most of our peers uh, follow the same approach, um, <clears throat> once you have the uh, the trend defined in, in your uh, termite mount samples, you come back with an auger program, auger drilling program. That's a fairly low cost, fairly fast tool to just drill through the overburden material, the laterite, the transported material, and sample the top of the bedrock, the, the, the weathered bedrock, get systematically get samples across that within your anomalous corridors. And then you kind of get to the root of where that gold is leaking out from in in the primary uh, bedrock. So you're defining the gold-bearing structures with that. And then you can come back and um, <clears throat> test these a bit uh, deeper with RC or diamond drilling. Right. Okay. But, but all of the above costs money. So, um, how much did you raise yes. on the IPA? Uh, six and a half million. And, um, we've been hard at work, um, last 12 months or so. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> auger drilling, uh, is completed now. At least the first pass auger drilling is completed now on all three permits. Um, and we're releasing those results. Um, as we speak, uh, we've still got a few batches of assays coming back in. Um, so we're now really rapidly approaching the stage where we want to put down our drill holes. Right, okay, and um, relatively cheap there? I mean, what, what is it, a, a per meter cost in Guinea? Uh, for auger drilling? Yeah. Auger drilling tends to be around the $12, $14 mark, straight to the driller. Um, and then with your overheads and assays, you're probably looking at um, 20 to $30. And then we go, when you go to RC drilling, um, that's probably around the $50 mark, 40 to $50 to the drilling contractors, sometimes a little bit cheaper. Um, with your add ons in terms of field management, field logistics and assays, you might end up with 80, 80 to 100 bucks, depending on, you know, if it's a large program, you'll obviously have scales of economy. Right. Okay. And this is, so you, you reckon, I mean, the, the, these relatively shallow drilling, right? This is what you're saying. So yes. Lo- lots of, in fact, how do you go about planning the drill program in terms of spacing, et cetera? Okay. Um, in the first, with the auger drilling, we, we initially go in quite uh, wide, 200 to 400 meter space lines, um, across our two chem trends. And then along the lines, we're quite relatively tight, maybe 25 to 50 meters maximum. From that, we um, pick up the trends, and then the better, the wider parts of the trends, uh, we'll get back in with um, with some uh, with RC drilling, 
And uh, typically, um, <clears throat> there'll be other data that we layer over that. In some areas, we have a little bit of outcrop where we might have rock chip samples that give us encouragement. We might have some larger workings opened up by the artisanal miners, which also sample very nicely with rock chips. Um, so we'll typically plan initially one to three lines across the zone, maybe 100, 200 meter spaced lines, and then <clears throat> 50 meter spaced holes, two or three holes on the line on the first round and uh, aim to drill through um, through the sacralite, which we expect to be quite thick there, maybe 70, 80 meters and drill through that and then into the into the um, fresh bedrock, basically. Okay. And uh, see what it looks like, um, you know, in a drill hole. Um, see what the widths are, see what the grades are. Right. And, and you, you've talked about that. So how many meters of auger drilling do you think you'll do this year? Uh, we have already completed over 35,000 meters and we might get up to 40 by the end of the year on the auger drilling. And then uh, the follow-up um, on that will be a, a several RC programs. Um, for the rest of the year, we've planned out um, uh, at least two programs of 5,000 meters each um, spread between two permits. And then early next year, we have another 5,000 meters scheduled on, on one of the pair permits that's a little bit further to the west um, at Bantambay. So... Between now and let's call it end of February, we're looking at fifteen thousand meters of RC drilling. Right. Okay. On and top on top of the auger drilling that we've done. Right. Right. Okay. And um, that can all be done within the budget that within the the funding that you've raised today. Yeah. Yes, we have uh, funding to cover up to the fifteen thousand meters of um, of RC drilling. Right. And then how do you go about building something like this? Because you've got you've got three projects, three three different assets that you're you, you're going after. Um, do you start to is is it is the goal to work out who the the favorite is the favorite child is and then start to lean towards that in terms of the financing or do you think that this that you will still continue to need to drill out on all three you know equitably um, how does it work how does that work that's a good question it will depend on the results that come back from the first round of drilling um, if we get something that looks very strongly like a discovery, we'll definitely um, bias the drilling oh, somewhat to that. Um, I fully expect, though, that we'll get some decent results from all of the permits. So we will have some follow-up on all of them. But the one that looks to come to a resource, uh, the quickest will probably be favoured. Right, right. Okay. Because, one, because what that's that's how the market works or... or that's the the best bang for your buck at, at this stage of development, you know, because obviously you're still a small uh, company at, at this point. Best bang for the buck. Um, but, of course, you know, if we get rewarded with um, by our shareholders with um, or, or new shareholders um, helping us with the share price a little bit, uh, we'll, we'll definitely use that to raise more money to, uh, to follow up more aggressively. Right. Um, and you, working in Guinea, um, West, West Africa is obviously a famous um, gold producing uh, region, you know, whether it be Senegal, Mali, Sierra Leone, you know, Ghana, wherever. Yeah, it, it's famous for it, it, its gold. Um, you're just hunting gold. Is, are there any other kind of byproduct, um, byproducts in this, or is it just purely um, gold? No, no, it's purely gold. Right. Um, gold in West Africa, in the Bohemian, is, is uh, purely about gold. Um, Okay. I don't know of any other deposits that have a byproduct um, in the gold space in West Africa. Right. Okay. What about the what about working in Guinea? Then um, you've worked there before. 
this is my first project, but I've been um, coming to visit here for, for quite some time now. Um, I've worked in the neighboring countries extensively. Um, it's actually quite similar. The mining code is somewhat similar. Infrastructure is somewhat similar. Um, and the people um, uh, people vary from the region to region, but um, essentially also quite similar. Right. So um, it's familiar territory, um, geologically as well as the regulars. So um, I find it very good to work there. You have an exploration permit, and that allows you to go and drill. Right. And many other jurisdictions, you're looking at three to nine months uh, to permit just to put a few drill holes down. Um, here we have our permits; we can go and drill. Right, and and obviously you're uh, it's a it's well-known mining jurisdiction, in Guinea, up in the north. You're near Mali. Um, you know, we we've had companies come on here and talk about some of the difficulties being experienced in Mali um, is, is so far, oh no, it's early days here, but was, was that sort of part of your decision-making to try and understand this sort of the security component of being able to work and explore in Guinea? Uh, yes, Guinea, um, we liked it because, yes, uh, it doesn't have the same security issues that some of the countries to the north have. It has a prospective geology and it's, it's probably... Um, the ground is probably less contested than, than some of the other countries um, like um, Senegal or, or Ivory Coast where people have been looking for a long time and um, and the ground's heavily held and, and, and there's a lot of competition for the for the project. So um, uh, Guinea has kind of uh, only recently come onto the, onto the investment community's radar screen, so to speak, um, both on the ASX but also in Canada. Right. You're probably aware of that um, ASX discovery by Predictive Discovery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've heard them on the show a few, a, a few times, and you know they went from zero to hero very, very quickly overnight off the off the back of that, um, for sure. And mm. um, the, I mean, the the other, I guess, the other um, aspect to this is, you know, you've gone and IPO'd right in the middle of what is a pretty difficult time for commodities broadly, let alone precious metals. Um, again, with the timing of that, was it a case of you started a process, so you just went through with it? Or you think, well, is there any, is there ever a good time uh, to law, to IPO a company? Well, when we started it, it was actually quite a good time. Um, and we were supposed to, you know, our plan, our intention was to finish this, probably um, this listing probably two or three months earlier. Uh, the money we'd ha we had actually raised um, in the, Quite a few months before that, but it took longer than anticipated to to complete all the uh, the work to get the official listing done, which is unfortunate. But uh, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, um, no, 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 no. I don't think it's ever a right answer per se. But you know, we've we've had companies you know he put off listings um, because they just thought one, the money's going to be quite expensive, and two, no one's going to be um, looking looking in here. Um, but um, I think your, your team's got quite a good reputation because it makes life a lot easier. Um, right. Well, look, I mean, Martin, I appreciate you coming on and actually you know, letting us know that um, you're up and running. Um, and more importantly, you've got the money to, you know, get after it on the ground as well. So look, stay in touch and let us know how you get on, okay? Great, Matt. Thanks for that. It's been, uh, it's been good to speak to you. And yeah, I look forward to updating you as we make progress.